Welcome to Talking Materials Handling. In each episode, you'll hear from the thought leaders who are shaping what happens inside the four walls of the distribution center. We'll cover the gamut from automation and robots to software and the next-gen technologies that are enabling the workforce of tomorrow. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, the executive editor of Modern Materials Handling. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments. Now, to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Materials Handling. We're taking grocery to the next level. I'm Bob Troublecock and joining me today is Jeff Bornino. Jeff is the North American president at the consulting firm TMX Transform, and we're also both Ohio natives. Uh, Jeff lives in Chagrin Falls, where my family is from. So Jeff, welcome. Great to be here, Bob, and always great to talk to a fellow Clevelander. I agree. I just learned yesterday that Geraldo Rivera now lives in Shaker Heights. So you and I know what that means. I don't know how many of our, uh, of our uh, listeners are. So look, I'm glad to have you here. And if you're like me, you probably don't wonder about the complexities of supply chain management when you go to the grocery store. You just want your stuff. Yet, if I do think about it, grocery has to be one of the most complicated supply chains I can imagine. You're dealing with multiple temperature zones, ambient, refrigerated, and freezer. You're dealing with shelf-stable products and fresh food that can spoil quickly. You're dealing with packages that would be hard to damage and other product that is easily destroyed. Just think uh, a pallet of bottled water. And the pressure to do all of that at an extremely low cost is unrelenting. You know the old joke, if the kid at the register double bags your groceries, you just lost all of your profit. Now, if that isn't enough, grocers are dealing with e-commerce and home delivery at scale. Phew. As he'll tell us in a minute, Jeff has spent most of his career working in grocery and has more than a few thoughts about what the future of the grocery supply chain might look like. So Jeff, let's get started. First, tell us the Reader's Digest version of your career. Okay, uh, so like many folks who've spent their career in the grocery industry, it started in my teenage years. I was a shelf stocker and bag groceries at the local Cleveland Russo Stop and Shop. I was there for several years throughout high school and college, really loved uh, all the experience I gained there. And I think that was what set me on the course to a career in both supply chain and in grocery. My last year of college, I spent some time selecting orders at a liquor warehouse. So I was an order picker and I got to see all the challenges associated with that. After college, I uh, pursued a career with Chet Pallets. So really a supply chain solutions provider in mostly the grocery space. So again, I was in the grocery world, uh, but more from a service provider standpoint, held a variety of different positions at Chep. Loved my experience there before ultimately going to Kroger, where I spent the majority of my career, uh, about 14 years or so at Kroger, all in supply chain, leading a variety of uh, supply chain strategies and initiatives with our vendor community to lower costs and improve flow of product. I was appointed to grocery procurement director in 2013, where my team led the procurement of all grocery goods sold across the, the chain. And then ultimately spent the last several years as the vice president of corporate supply chain and planning, inventory and replenishment. So when you think about visiting your local 
Kroger store, whether it's a Fry's or an, or a uh, Ralph's or King Supers across the United States, my team was responsible for the procurement and inventory uh, management for all goods sold across those stores, whether it be produce, meat, frozen, grocery, um, health and beauty items, and so forth. Also led strategy and international logistics, supply chain analytics for Kroger. It was a great ride, a lot of fun for the world's largest uh, grocery chain to be a part of that was an honor. I then moved on to Giant Eagle, local, local grocery darling in the Midwest, um, and led supply chain transformation and strategy for them before my uh, recent appointment to TMX. So I'm, I'm now on the consulting advisory side of things, very different, but I'm hopefully able to bring all of that experience in the grocery industry and supply chain industry to uh, to others and help them along the way. Well, great. So you just mentioned uh, TMX Transform. And, you know, when you and I uh, met uh, for lunch, I was unfamiliar with the organization. I'm guessing my listeners are as well. Just, again, briefly, tell us a little bit about TMX Transform, and then we're going to talk about grocery. Sure. Uh, so TMX Transform, uh, it started in 2010. It, it's a largely a Asia-Pacific um, Australia-based supply chain consultancy end-to-end, -end, meaning it's anything from standing up a control tower to helping with inventory optimization, in implementing uh, automation solutions throughout the supply chain, designing supply chains, de designing distribution centers, um, and, and anything and everything in between. And it's headquartered in Melbourne. We have offices throughout Asia Pacific and recently in London. Uh, and we have uh, recently, just as of this past week officially, expanded into North America, although we've been doing quite a bit of work in the last few months to set up our, our launch in North America. And what really separates us from a lot of the others, and, and look, I've worked with most of them and they're great. Uh, but what separates us, I think, is we have a very hands-on uh practitioner-based approach to consulting. We've delivered a lot of results over 10 billion in savings to our, to our clients just through our blue collar approach, rolling up our sleeves and use, using our experience in the industry. We're, we're a team of practitioners who've kind of got the battle scars from all of the operations that we've led and analytics that we've run and planning that we've uh, led for different companies, we bring that experience in a very real world way to our clients and make sure that what we are giving them to help improve their supply chain is practical uh, and that it's implemented and delivers what they're looking for. It's, we're not really steeped just in theory and handing over a playbook. We can do that. We, we know the theory, but we would rather kind of take it from a very blue collar tactical approach and make sure that it ultimately delivers what we say it will. Great. Thank you for that. So, you know, I started it off by saying that, you know, most of us go to the grocery store. We don't really want to think about complexity or the supply chain. But of course, during COVID, one of the ways the general public learned the phrase supply chain management was empty grocery shelves. Um, you know, we really came to realize how complex um, getting stuff from wherever, you know, from the supplier to the shelf can be. From your perspective, somebody who's worked your whole career in grocery, what makes grocery so complex? You know, it's a lot, Bob, to what you described in your opening comments, and I don't want to rehash all of them, but if you think about a typical grocery retailer, they're carrying 40 to 50,000 SKUs on average. 
and they all have a variety of different velocities. And many of them are extremely perishable or sensitive to temperature fluctuations. If you, I mean, one of my favorite stats that I give is a strawberry. If you spend one, every hour spent out of refrigeration for a strawberry is one day of shelf life removed from that berry, one day of freshness, if you will. So you cannot break the cold chain for certain items. Ice cream is another one. It's extremely sensitive. If you break the cold chain just for a half an hour, you're going to get those ice crystals on ice cream that we've all experienced and don't like. Chocolate's another one. So obviously you have fresh produce, fresh meat, and, and those are obvious that you need to make sure that you have the right handling for them. But there's other items that maybe the average consumer doesn't think about the amount of care that's required in making sure that product is delivered to the store and ultimately the consumer in perfect condition. So that's one thing. The other thing that comes to mind is the customer demand and expectations in the grocery industry is very different than other industries. And that's not to say that luxury goods, for example, isn't a difficult supply chain because it is. They have their own challenges that they're dealing with. Uh, but a customer demands, and rightly so, that their food is fresh, that it's available, and that it's reasonably priced. If you're a luxury goods shopper and your purse that's, that costs you know a couple of thousand dollars, if there's a price increase of a couple of hundred on it, you might be irritated. You might choose not to buy it. But at the end of the day, nobody's, it doesn't impact anybody's livelihood not having that item. In the grocery world, there are customers who are coming into the stores who are you know, trying to make every single penny stretch. So the amount of pressure on that grocery retailer to ensure that they're constantly looking for ways to take cost out of the system, not to line their own pockets, to your point about razor thin margins a moment ago, the, the goal isn't to take cost out of the system to make the, the enterprise wealthier. The goal is to take cost out of the system to pass it along to the customer so that they can continue to buy the products that they need and they're able to do so from a price standpoint. So that I think is fairly unique. I can't think of too many industries that have that amount of constant pressure for cost, uh, for cost reduction in a way that matters in a, in a very meaningful uh, customer experience, if that makes sense. So I think that's unique to the grocery industry. So I want to go back to uh, being a consumer going to the grocery store. So post-pandemic, you know, I've noticed two things. One is the shelves in my local grocery store. I go to a Mariano's here in Chicago, which is a Kroger brand. They're pretty full. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff and, and typically lots of representation of each SKU. The other thing is there are fewer SKUs. And what I mean is like some of my favorite soups from a particular brand are no longer available. Uh, I can order them online, but I can't get them in the uh, grocery store. You know, instead of 20 different kinds of mustards, maybe there's 10. So skew rationalization, right? Can you talk a little bit about what it is and why is it so important to grocers and really how they're struggling with it since they tried to be like all things to all consumers for a while? No, this is actually one of the things, Bob, that I'm most passionate about. I think it's one of the key unlocks to operating not just a strong supply chain, but a strong grocery retail uh, establishment as well. It's, it is a, it's a hot button, and it's very, very emotional for some. 
But at the end of the day, if you think about it, I mentioned the 40 to 50,000 SKUs that are in a store, they're all competing for shelf space at the end of the day. So you have that 50,000th SKU that has a place on the shelf, just like the number one SKU does. And at the end of the day, if you have 20 different mustards, for the example that you just mentioned, that 20th mustard might be causing an out of stock for the top one or two or three or four, because you need more holding power for the one, two or three or four. And that 20th mustard is collecting dust. The hard part about it is there is a customer for that 20th mustard. And most grocers don't want to disappoint. Nobody wants to disappoint a customer. But most grocers don't want to disappoint anybody. So the real unlock here is through data um, and a true cost to serve model. So understanding the cost of every single item that you have in your store, not just the gross margin of that item. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. You need to look at the total cost of handling that item, of warehousing the item, shipping it and storing it on the shelf for months on end before somebody might buy it. Every single item should have a cost associated with it. And then you look at that cost holistically across the entire um, uh, group of items that you're carrying. And there are going to be some that have a high cost, but there's also a high walk away factor, meaning that customer, if you don't carry that 20th brand of mustard, even though there's, it's very costly to carry it, it's so loyal for certain groups of customers that you just cannot take it out of the set or you'll never get that customer back. Once you look at all of that together, you should be able to reduce your inventory by anywhere from 10 to 15%. And I've seen it where grocery retailers are able to do that. And it, they actually, it's kind of counterintuitive. They get credit from the customer for having better assortment. Even though they took product away from the shelf, the, the customer is no longer, you can get confused. If you're looking at 20 different mustards, uh, you can get overwhelmed. I, I do as a one customer example. I get overwhelmed when I have too much selection. So trimming the ones that don't really matter out actually from a perception standpoint creates a better shopping experience for customers. And it allows for you to have better in stocks because, again, you're expanding your shelf holding power for the items that truly matter. And you're able to reduce your cost throughout the supply chain because you're not having to handle all 50,000 of those SKUs throughout all of your DCs. Now, for that 20th mustard item that you mentioned, Bob, maybe you carry it in a central online only distribution center so that you can still offer that to the customer who wants it but you don't need to have it in every single store and carry it in every single distribution center. Very critical, hard to do, but really important. Uh, Jeff, let's stick to this theme of, you know, pleasing the customer for a couple of questions. One, during the pandemic, buy online, you know, pick up in store or ship from store became a way of life, right? It was almost a matter of survival. Uh, grocery, we were allowed to go to the grocery store with all those restrictions, but you know, for other retailers, if they didn't do buy online, you know, pick up at the store or ship from store, they would have been out of business. But in grocery, the cost of picking orders and especially the cost of shipping them uh, when people expect free delivery means it's difficult to turn a profit. So what's your view on home delivery? Um, how's it transforming the industry? This is another hot button, Bob. So this is a this is another one that's debated and uh, you know causes a lot of angst in the industry because at its core, 
at every retailer's core, they want to satisfy every customer. But the old adage of you can't be everything to everybody really comes true at some point in time. Whether the customer may realize it or not, they want that retailer to be a profitable and healthy company uh, or else they're not going to long term be able to satisfy the customer as a whole. So being able to be profitable in everything that you do, I mean, you can certainly invest in certain areas, but being able to be profitable as a company is critical to your long-term success, obviously. And if you're losing money, which most retailers are in home delivery, you have two choices as I see it. Number one, uh, you, well, I guess you have three choices. Number one is you stop doing it, which really isn't much of a choice because we know that customers have gotten hooked on it. They really enjoy it. To your point, it was essential during the pandemic. Uh, but it's also become kind of an expectation across the world that, that home delivery is something that retailers offer. So option one really isn't much of an option. Stop doing it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Option two is continue to do it for free or in a profit loss uh, scenario that's not attractive to the retailer. I don't view that as a very sustainable solution either. As you mentioned earlier, retailers are operating on razor thin margins. They cannot afford to long-term keep investing in home delivery where they're losing money. So it leads us to option three, as far as I can tell, which is you, you need to offer it. You need to charge appropriately for it. it, it you, you probably don't want to turn it into a profit center, but you also don't want to lose money on it. And then constantly look for ways to improve so that you can pass those savings along to the customer. But for retailers to continue to just lose money uh, delivering groceries to the customer, I know they don't want to they don't want to charge the customer, but there really is no long term solution other than to do that while they figure out ways to save along the way and pass those savings on to the customer. That's my view on it. Hey, Jeff, this is, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, two questions kind of related to home delivery and pleasing the customer. But um, one of them is there was a period of a couple of years where the idea of micro fulfillment, meaning I was going to put um, an auto, you know, a, a streamlined shrunk down uh, uh, auto store system or Domatic or Canap shuttle system, you know, in the 10,000 square feet in the back of the grocery store to automate the, um, you know, buy online, pick up in store or ship from store was kind of predicted to be like the next hot trend, right? And certainly some organizations have invested in that. I think Walmart has invested heavily in that. Um, Kroger has taken, you know, where you used to work, has taken a very different um, uh, approach to it, working with Ocado. Uh, just out of curiosity from your experience, you know, in the grocery industry, um, is micro fulfillment, you know, fulfilling with automation in the back of the store, a sustainable idea? I, I talked with one well-known Midwestern grocer who said to me, you know, they had put one in, they thought it was the future, and uh, they ripped it out because they just couldn't figure out, you know, it, it was cheaper for them to just have people push carts through the store or use Instacart. How do you see that trend playing out? 
Uh, it's an interesting question. I think uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer to this one yet, to be honest. And if they say they do, I'd love to talk to that person. I think every one of the different scenarios that you just mentioned has merit, uh, but it might be regional or the type of market that you're in. So an Ocado type solution, I think, is brilliant. Where I've seen it work the best is in a highly dense market where uh, you can get a, you know, a lot of customer demand in a very small geographic region. The, the, and I'm just using Ocado as an example. Right. The, the technology works just fine. It's more the, is the demand there to make it a profitable scenario. Micro fulfillment centers and or using your local store as a way to deliver groceries to the customer or to enable pickup also makes sense, especially for those stores or those chains where they have enough stores deeply penetrated into their markets where you're only a few miles away at any given time from your closest name, your grocery retailer, your Walmart or Kroger or whoever it is. If you are that deeply penetrated into your market, utilizing those stores to satisfy both home delivery and pickup makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as the technology, um, I think it's still a little bit up in the air, Bob. I've seen a lot of interesting technology, a lot of exciting concepts. I think still it's hard to turn a profit. Um, as we talked about in the last question, it's hard to turn a profit in this space and implementing a very pricey automation solution might be, unless you know exactly what it is that it's going to do and what the business requirements are, might be a little premature. Uh, but I do think the vision long term would be yes, to summarize my answer here. Yes, I do think that automation in the back room of stores is a viable solution for many retailers. I'm not sure that we have figured out quite yet what that looks like. So in the interim, I think a combination of manual and automation might make sense until we figure out exactly what the automation solution needs to be. Uh, so last of these, uh, you know, uh, all things to all people kind of questions. So, and I think it's related to home delivery, but it also goes to the, you know, skew rationalization. Um, before the pandemic, uh, I was publishing articles in Supply Chain Management Review about the customer-centric supply chain. And the idea was that, you know, instead of cost being at the top of the five, you know, most important bullets, and the customer being, you know, four or five, the idea was moving, you know, the customer and the customer need to the top of the list. And of course, cost was important, but not as much as satisfying the customer. Um, the person who, who first started writing about that for me uh, was a professor at uh, Michigan State who recently said to me, I think I was wrong. And uh, I'm now hearing supply chain leaders, including some you know, who before the pandemic were telling me we're all about the customer, not the cost, are now saying, you know, we've got to put the focus back on cost. Uh, when you and I got together for lunch, you mentioned a balanced supply chain. And we've talked a little bit, you know, these last couple of questions about the customer versus the cost versus profitability versus, you know, loss leader and so on. Just talk a little bit about your view on, you know, what is the balanced supply chain and how it might impact grocery. Yeah, so uh, I don't, I'm not sure which Michigan State professor it was, but uh, I understand the, the pain that he, I think it was, you said it was a, a man, the, the, the pain that he 
has seen and that he's changed his mind on it. I can see how that can happen. I really do believe, Bob, that the customer needs to be at the center of everything that every grocery retailer does. So anybody who strays from that and goes straight to a cost only model, I think is, is pivoting too hard the other direction. Um, so in other words, I've seen many, many times over the course of the last, I mean, 50 years, really, the focus on cost at all costs, drive costs down. And what does that lead to? It leads to a lousy experience for the customer. So that's not the right thing to do. Being everything to everybody at all costs, no matter what the cost is, is also becoming a bit of a problem that many retailers are struggling with. So the balance is never lose focus on the customer. Kind of go back to the example that we talked about a few moments ago where uh, the 20 musters that you described. A supply chain should never want to say no to a customer, but a supply chain should say, yes, we can do that. Here's how it's going to look. Uh, and that, to me, that is a balanced supply chain or even really a balanced organization where, yes, we can deliver this to your home. It's going to cost X for us to do that for you. Would you like for us to do that? Yes, we'll, we'll be happy to ship you this 20th mustard if you would like. We don't carry that in our store, but we're more than happy to get that to you. And here's the cost associated with it. A supply chain shouldn't say, no, we're not going to carry it. No, we're not going to deliver to your home. No, we're not going to be able, because that really takes the customer out of the center, which is a losing proposition. You keep the customer in the center and you figure out how to deliver a great customer experience every time while still being a profitable company. Uh, so there should continuously be a focus on cost. As you drive cost out of the system, Bob, those dollars that you saved need to be reinvested into the customer, whether it be experience, price, you know, store remodel, whatever it is. Uh, I don't see a situation where grocers are going to operate with 10% margins. I just don't see that there. It's a low, it's a low margin game. Every dollar that you save should go back to the customer. Uh, and that should be the focus for cost savings. Hopefully that helped. Last topic. Let's uh, talk a little bit about automation. Um, you know, grocery historically uh, was a very manual process particularly in the uh, warehousing distribution centers. At the same time, grocery was the early adopter of barcode scanning, both in the stores, the warehouses, warehouse management systems, labor management, and voice technology. They were still manual. They were still doing pick to pallet, but they were enabling you know, the manual warehouse. Uh, now it seems as if we're seeing a lot more automation with things like you know, a Wetron system, uh, the Ocado system, um, some of the other things that are coming uh, out of the industry now. So from your perspective, you know, how is automation impacting the industry today? Yeah, so, the, and this is kind of the, at the heart of what a lot of our client engagements really is, Bob. And, and that is, I think most realize that automation is the future. I would challenge any uh, retailer uh, or wholesaler for that matter, but any retailer out there who isn't looking at automation in their warehousing uh, uh, to wonder why they aren't. Uh, certainly it's, it's one thing when you're looking at a greenfield or a new build for a distribution center to put automation in it. It's a totally different thing if you have an existing building and you're trying to implement automation while that facility is running in a manual way. So they both can be done. I would urge everybody to consider them. The, the, uh, 
the questions that you must ask when considering automation is, you know, what is the business requirement? What is it you're trying to solve for? Many have labor issues, meaning labor availability. Many have labor cost issues. Some have a capacity challenge. So it's not one size fits all with every single uh, automation solution being the right answer for every single retailer. It really needs to be based off of your specific needs, both short and long term. So I would urge every retailer, whether it be us helping them or whoever helps them, or maybe they have their own internal staff that does it, to look at your existing infrastructure. Where are your pinch points? Consider the future. Where are those pinch points likely to be through a variety of different modeling exercises? You should be able to figure out where you're going to have constraints. Again, is it labor? Is it going to be labor cost? Is it going to be building capacity? And that should then start to narrow in on what technology, what automation solution is best for you. I've seen a lot of companies make the decision of just hearing that automation provider A is a great provider. So they lock up with them immediately and implement a solution. And then they find out later that they picked the wrong type of automation for their needs. So there's a lot of due diligence that needs to go in on the front end. But if they're, if you're not looking at automation, I think you're making a mistake. And the good news is there are a lot of automation solutions and financing packages now that make it more feasible and attractive for folks that maybe along the way never thought that it was something that they could do. Uh, last question, uh, just real quick one. Um, you know, grocery is still a pallet intensive um, industry. Uh, at the same time, we're seeing a lot of new technologies coming onto the market uh, that might either complement traditional things that we saw in grocery, like ASRS and mini load systems and AGVs and so on. Are there any technologies that you're watching or that you're particularly excited about? So kind of back to the last point, Bob, I'm excited about them all. I, I, ASRS certainly still has a play in, in the grocery space. The, the sodas pick to light for slower moving. I mean, I love the goods to person uh, and the hive technology that we've seen in Ocado. I, I mean, there's uh, AGVs still play a huge automated guided vehicle still plays a huge role in in the world of supply chain. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that there's one that I'm more excited about than the other. I'm excited about them all. I think the main thing is I'm excited about them in the right application. I'm not excited about them in the wrong application. A lot of times folks will blame automation for the, the you didn't get the results that you wanted. When in reality, it wasn't automation's fault. It was the due diligence wasn't done on the front end to make sure that the right automation was implemented. If that's done, there's a slew of different technologies and approaches to automating, all of which are really exciting. And I think that there's more to come, Bob, in the coming years. Um, but it's, it'd be awfully hard for me to pick one that I love more than the other. I love them all. Perfect. As long as they're in the right application. I was going to say, you need to do some skew rationalization around technology. We'll, <laughs> we'll, say, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Jeff, thanks so much. That's, that's, that's all the time we have today. And again, I want to thank Jeff Bernino from TMX Transform for joining me today. I hope you'll be back for our next episode. Until then, for Modern Materials Handling and Talking Materials Handling, I'm Bob Troublecock. Jeff, again, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
Talking Materials Handling is produced by Modern Materials Handling and Peerless Media. You can find Talking Materials Handling on MMH.com, on iTunes under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. For more information, be sure to visit MMH.com, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode.